Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and the deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. In view of your participation in the gospel or fellowship in the gospel from this first day until now, for I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work among you will complete it by the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all because I have you in my heart since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you, are all, you all are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray, that your love may overflow still more and more in real knowledge and in all discernment so that you may discover the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and blameless for the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. So, Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning as we consider this passage as we consider what we are to be about and who we are to become as we await your coming. So Lord, bless this time. Fill us with your spirit that may, we may receive from you. Lord, fill me with your spirit that you may speak through me. And Lord, that you would engraft your word into our hearts this morning. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. This is really an interesting passage, and it does follow along the theme of Advent this idea of waiting and the Advent season is a, a time of waiting. It's a time of remembering the first coming of Jesus, but it is also a time that was marked by waiting for the second coming of Jesus. It's an interesting, I, I've, I've done some more reading of it and I'm just gonna kinda give you bits and pieces uh, of Advent. It probably was developed around the fourth century in the area of Spain or the area of Gaul which is in Central Europe. And um, it was kind of instituted because they were looking to have their those who were about to be baptized, and they had a, a baptismal date usually on the Feast of the Epiphany, of celebrating the time where the, the three wise men, 
or the three plus wise men. They, we really don't know how many wise men there were. But nonetheless, uh, this idea of celebrating uh, this feast where the wise men came and they gave gifts to Jesus, that was, in the early church, that was one of the um, uh, dates that they would do baptisms. And they would require their uh, converts, they used the word catechumens, uh, they would require them to really be in a place of, of spiritual preparation uh, before they were baptized. Now, I understand that in the book of Acts, we do see this time where we have the Ethiopian eunuch and, and he is saved in his chariot and then right then and there he is baptized and there's, there's nothing. Uh, that's not the only biblical model, okay? There's, there's nothing wrong with getting saved and being baptized right away. Um, although, well, I've known people who've done it. I've known people who haven't. I've known people who still haven't been baptized, and I, I wonder about their conversion, to be honest with you. But um, uh, in the early church, it was one of the things that they did was they, they, they put people through, uh, not only they taught them the faith, but they, they had them go through a period of, um, of preparation. And the time of Advent uh, for new converts preparing for their baptism would, re would require that they would enter into some type of a fast. So it was, a, it was a time where they really sought the Lord. Fasting is a very valuable, it's a very valuable spiritual discipline. And it does not mean that you have to completely abstain from food completely. Now, I, I really actually I don't recommend it for especially as you get older, but... Uh, um, you don't have to completely abstain uh, to be in a fast. You can set things aside for a period of time because you're, you're, you do that as a spiritual discipline as a means to, to, to have a heart posture. That's important. A heart posture to wait upon God, to listen for God, to, to pray and to seek uh, his word on sometimes on a particular matter. I think, I think fasting is very valuable, uh, something we don't talk a whole lot about um, and probably practice even less. Um, but they would, they would fast in preparation for their, for their uh, uh, baptism. In other regions and then in other times, um, they started baptizing on Easter, which at that time they called I'm not going to get into a full history lesson, but that's what they used to refer uh, to the time of celebrating the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so there it was a Advent was and this is the, to me the important part. It was Advent was a time of some very, um, very heavy waiting and s some some really concentrated, focused waiting on God. And I, and I think that, that even, th even though we're not going to baptize anybody on the Feast of Epiphany, although I don't plan on it, um, I think this is a good time to really focus and wait on God. The world's a mess. The world's a mess. And, and how are we to be light and salt? How are we to be the city upon a hill? And God help us that we don't light a lamp and then put a cover over it, right? Jesus said, who does that, right? And, and, and 
the interesting thing is, is, is I am reading, looking at more of <coughs> certain areas where Paul is writing, he really did place a lot of focus on the church waiting for Christ's second coming. And, and so what we have here in this passage is you have this um, twice where he, he, he says in, in uh, verse 6, the, uh, for I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work among you will complete it by the day of Christ Jesus. So that work that he began in you, and I think he's speaking to us individually, but I also think he's speaking to the church as a whole. And, and he's saying that he's confident that, that Jesus Christ, through the work of the Holy Spirit, who has begun a good work in you, will complete it by the day of Christ, or the day of Christ Jesus. So this, and then he mentions it again in verse 10, that you may be sincere and blameless for the day of Christ. So he's focused twice on this, this phrase, the day of Christ, and, and, and <clears throat> it was in 2018, I, I did a long Wednesday night end time study. Uh, some of you appreciate it, some of you didn't, but um, this idea of the day of Christ, or the day of, the, the day of, of Christ our Lord, or the day of Christ Jesus, is, I believe, none other than what is called the day of the Lord that is used, uh, a phrase that is used 24 times in, in the scripture. Uh, the day of the Lord, or known as the day of Yahweh, the day of God. And now, follow me in my thinking here, is the Messiah God? Yes. So, the day of Christ is an equivalent to the day of the Lord, or the day of Yahweh. Paul uses both phrases. He uses the phrase the day of the Lord, uh, but he also uses the day of Christ, the day of, the, of Christ Jesus, the day of our Lord Christ Jesus in, in, in here in this passage, but also when he writes to the Corinthians. And it is that time of the end where the Lord comes and returns and he interjects himself again in human history. And every eye will see him. Zechariah says, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. And it will be something that will be very visible. Something that will be very abrupt, as I mentioned last week. And, and he will come, and if you, <clears throat> again, I, I, I was tempted to go into a long segue about the day of the Lord, but I, I really want to get into some of these other verses but he will come and he will intercede and he will judge those who are unrighteous, but he will also reward those who are righteous. That is what, if you've done a study on the day of the Lord, it's very clear that this is what is happening. It is a twofold process. It is more than just a 24-hour day, although I'm not going to give you a chronology on it. And different people have different views about it. But the Old Testament particularly has a lot to say about the day of the Lord. Uh, also, when you read in, in, 
in, well, Isaiah chapter 2, for instance, it'll use the phrase in that day or of that day. And in Isaiah 2, it actually uses the day of Lord, in that day, of that day, and another phrase in, in the same passage. It's talking about the same thing, where, where God will come and intercede in human history. Some of those passages in the Old Testament, I'm going more on this than I even wanted to, but nonetheless, let me finish my thought. Some of those passages that are referred in the Old Testament have near and far fulfillments as well where God came and interceded in history and yet it is a picture, the first fulfillment, the near fulfillment is a picture of when the Lord Jesus Christ will come and return to earth one day. To me, that's what we are called to wait upon, the day of Christ. When Jesus returns visibly, And my, you're probably wondering, but my thought is we will go up to meet him and we will come down with him. That's how I'm looking at it because that's what I believe the Bible teaches. Anyway, and I know your mileage varies on some of that, and that's okay. Um, the main thing is he's coming back. But the thing is, what we have to understand is that the return of Christ is not meant for us to have some kind of a spiritual piety or some kind of spiritual understanding or we know more about the end times than the next person somewhere over at Sister's Coffee. We can, we can dazzle them with our biblical brilliance. But the church is called to live in the light of his coming. It is a calling to a lifestyle it's a calling to a lifestyle. It's a calling to the expectation that one day it will be as we have been instructed to pray by Jesus in the book of Matthew on earth as it is in heaven. That is what I believe the Bible teaches. That's a very, 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 very quick overview of the day of the Lord. I know some of you are going to disagree with me on that and, and try to prove, me, prove it to me then. We've had these discussions in the past, haven't we? But nonetheless, that is our expectation. And he is confident, verse 6, of this very thing that he who began a good work among us will complete it. I said us, it's actually you. But he will, he will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And, and how will that look like? Or what will that look like? That's a better, a better way to say it. Because, again, I want to I skip down to verse 9 and, and, and really start to take that apart this morning in the short time we have left. It is that, that he says, and I pray that your love may overflow. Now, I think that the, uh, the, the New King James, it says that your love might abound. Yes, it says that your love might abound. Remember we looked at that word last week? I remember that we looked at that word. Maybe you don't. But it's, 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 uh, it means to, to overflow, to exceed a fixed number or a, a measurement 
Kind of like when you take out a measuring cup and let's say just for an overkill of, of an illustration, you need a cup of milk and so you take out the measuring cup and you pour but you don't stop pouring. And it overflows and it overflows and it overflows, right? Um, it, it, it really refers to a person receiving something in great abundance. That's what this word really means. That's why it's translated abound. And, and, and so that, that love would abound in our hearts, that it would overflow in our hearts. And it, 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 it's given to us in a few ways here that, that it, is, it is to overflow more and more, the New American Standard says, in knowledge and discernment. Knowledge and discernment. This word knowledge is the word epigonosko in the Greek. It really refers to knowledge by experience. It, is a, it, it refers to a, a full knowledge, one that is profoundly experiential. And it, that when it's, uh, it's experiential, or the word could also be existential, but when it is experiential, it, it becomes something that is relatable, and something that we respond to. When we have endured the same type of physical suffering that someone else, we be a, that we're able to relate to them, don't we? Or we've gone through some type of a difficult situation with someone else, then we have this idea of being able to relate to them. And, and Paul, see, he's setting them up here because in chapter 3, he's going to, and I'm not going to go there this morning, but he talks about the fellowship of his sufferings. And I'll ask the question without answering, what does that exactly mean to us in our life today, to have fellowship with Christ in our sufferings? And, and this idea of knowledge, it means not just to be able to explain to others, but something that you have experienced personally. Something that you have experienced personally. I remember when I first started working in construction and I would see these guys and they'd have these black finger uh, thumbnails, right? Uh, they were carpenters because they missed nail and they hit their thumb. Um, and I remember being around a, a few guys and, and listening to what they had to say after they did it um, and the different words that they invented. Uh, um, but it's pain, and, and I, I never fully understand until I did it myself once. I'll leave it at that. But then I understood. See, the thing is, David understood this too, and he said, uh, before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. That he entered into the fellowship of the sufferings with the Messiah. In, in affliction, and then it caused him to draw near to God. It caused him to stay close to God instead of being one who would stray. And it, it, this refers more to an experiential love is what this is talking about. And an experiential love is more than sentimentality. It's more than sentimentality. It, you know, you, you, every... I, 
None of you are this way, the least that I know of, so I got some liberty here, and I'm going to use it, okay? You ever meet those Pollyannaistic people? that they're just, they're just happy about everything and all the time, and they drive me crazy. But uh, I've got a few friends like that, and I've learned just, just to deal with it. You know, they're just, they're just, everything is just so wonderful, and everything is so great. It's like, do you ever watch the news? No, they don't. But anyway, it's probably a good thing. Maybe we should learn something from that. But, but, but the sentimentality that's kind of syrupy sweet, that makes me sick. It's more than that type of a love. There is some sentiment, but it's not overly, overly played. The same thing with scholarship. Because sometimes we gravitate towards sentimentality or scholarship. Well, we we love God because we study the Bible all the time, right? I've told you before, I, I, I knew a young guy, he... He went to Bible college. He got his money's worth. He learned and learned well. I bet he got straight A's. He really knew his Bible when he came back, but he was still the same jerk he was when he left, before he left. So he, he learned it up here, but there was no change of heart. There was no sentimentality. And, and, and the, the, the fact that we're called to hold both of those intention, intention uh, that's what this knowledge is really talking about. That, that we overflow really uh, more and more in real knowledge. Not just sentimental knowledge, not just scholastic knowledge. See what he's saying here? Um, and in discernment. Saw that one. Discernment. I had to discern which cup I wanted to drink out of. You saw that. It's another word for judgment. It also means intellectual understanding. Because we have to have some kind of knowledge about the faith that we have, do we not? At least I think we do. It, it really refers, this word really refers to the, to the power of moral discrimination and ethical judgment. How I discriminate what is moral. How I determine what is ethical. The church lacks here. Huge, huge. Our culture lacks here. Huge, huge. I go to the left, they don't know what they're talking about. I go to the right, they don't know what they're talking about. That's my opinion. And and, and we are in a place because we are so in a knot and so mad about so many things that we've lost our ability to discern because our love no longer overflows. Because we're angry people because the guy who got into the office at the, at the White House was not the guy we wanted. See, that becomes a distraction. We're called to live in a discernment where we are able to, to have a moral discrimination. The problem is in this country, and it's been this way since I don't know how long, but it's longer than I can remember, and that is, is that, that, that the people who would be qualified to fulfill the office of president are not electable. They're just not. That's my opinion. Your mileage may vary. But we've been called to be discerning people and to cut through the mess and to cut through all the anger and all the, all the, 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 the contentiousness 
that is out there today. So that we might approve. It says approve the things that are excellent. That we might approve the things that are excellent. How do you approve the things that are excellent? How do you do it today? It's okay, I don't know either. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, it, this word means to distinguish. It's very similar, approve. The word approve means to distinguish in the Greek. It's very similar to discernment, isn't it? If you think about it. It refers to the act of testing. The act of testing. You know, like when you were in college or high school, where you, if you, you ever t have those science labs? I never took any of those classes. I don't know. I got, was able to get out of them. I know Mary took a, she, she took a chem chemistry class for fun in her senior year. Uh, and, and the final was she had to go through this process. Ended up, whatever it was, it, and I, she's told me about it several times, but part of the, the, the end result was this thing was supposed to blow up, and it did, and so she got an A. Um, she tested it, whatever it was, and that's what it, that was the results of the testing. Do you test things? Hold fast to that which is good, the scripture tells us. Do we have the ability to test? What do we use as a criteria for that which we do test? And, and, and it's important for us to use not only the Bible. Notice I said not only the Bible. Because the problem is, if we use the Bible as a standard and standard alone, nobody measures up. Nobody measures up. Well, we can go to the Bible where it says all of sin and falling short of the glory of God. Okay, we all qualify, right? But we use his word. But we also pray. We also ask God that discernment we also ask God for us to, for the ability to test all things to hold fast to that which is good we talk it over with brothers and sisters that we that we trust there's a fair amount of Christian programming today that is not worth your time to watch It's just not worth your time watching. And, and, and while I even believe that some of them are our brothers and in some cases our sisters, it sounds like a different gospel to me than what I'm reading here in the Bible. And I, and I, I, I it, 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 usually not a week that goes by that somebody doesn't mention someone's name and I'm thinking to myself, why are you listening to that Yahoo? Part of what we need to do, I think, at times, guys, is we need to narrow our focus a little bit. 
And maybe the Lord is telling you to do something totally different. But, but, but this, the Bible, that, this is our template. This is our means to discern. And, and uh, th- th- there's, a, the, there's the story of uh, what they teach, what is it, Department of Treasury? They, they teach the agents how to detect counterfeits. How do they do it? They have them learn and study a real bill, not a counterfeit. Because they learn and study that real bill so well, then they are able to detect the counterfeit. And you know what, what, what's, what's, what really bugs me? It really bugs me. As I'm getting older, I'm forgetting stuff. Just me, right, Bill? No. Well, both bills. <laughs> what was your name? No. Um, and, and, and so, and I, I know that, and I'm saying this, I do, I forget things, okay? Um, I've had one time where I forgot your name. <laughs> I was like, this is done, and yeah, you know, it, it happens. I think all the more that we need to really keep the word of God in front of us. Because we do forget. But it is our means to approve that which is good. To test things that differ. That's another way, uh, definition on this. And, and to approve things that are excellent. What this is referring to here is, is, is moral and spiritual concepts. And actions which involve these delicate and very keen distinctions, those things that are excellent, that we may approve those things that are excellent. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 2, it says, It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search out a matter. Are we a kingdom of priests? We most certainly are. It is our glory to search out a matter. And, and to really, you know, and what I've found about searching out a matter, I don't normally get the answer in five minutes. And sometimes I really have to press into something and really spend time with something and really wait upon something and, 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 and not get it the first sit, uh, sitting. But, to, you know, I... Write some of these things down. Journal. Write some of these things down. Things that you have questions about. And, and see how God leads you on the path of answering those questions. Now, some questions to me are unanswerable. Or at least I haven't heard the answers to them yet. But to approve those things that are excellent, which requires a very deep and a very keen discrimination to be able to recognize them. You see, what Paul is talking about here are things not for the new believer, not for the person who is immature spiritually. He is describing someone who is deeply spiritually mature. But what I've found in that, I've found it in my life, I've found it in other lives uh, as well, is that we can be get to a certain level of maturity, but then we can regress. 
because if we don't maintain what we gain, we will lose it. I remember somebody complaining to me about that because they, they thought they were much more spiritually mature than they were. My last years, okay, none of you, okay. They thought they were much more spiritually mature than they were. Well, I knew better. I mean, I saw it all over. The, anyway, they had a situation that revealed to them, gee, I'm really not that spiritually mature. And it, it was interesting because then I met a guy years later after that who talked about the third grade because I said to this person, I said, so what if you have to repeat the third grade again? It's funny how that just, you know, and that's, that's what, it just rolled out of my mouth that way, you know. And I said, so what if you have to repeat these things again? The thing is, is that you re-enroll. Follow what I'm saying? You get, you, you get back and you submit yourself to the Lordship of Christ and you allow him to teach you the lessons that you didn't get the first time or the 14th time. Well, it happens, right? But you keep pressing toward the prize of the upward calling in Christ Jesus, which Paul talked about in this letter as well. So that you may discover the things that are excellent or approve of the things that are excellent and that you may be sincere and blameless. I actually like what the New King James says in this better uh, it says that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. That you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Well, there's a lot to think about there. Because when is Christ coming back? I don't know. Do we have a sincere faith? How do you know? How do you know if you have a sincere faith? Do you ever hear that still small voice? Now don't raise your hand. Okay. But this is something I really want you to consider. Do you, do you, do you, do you ever hear that still small voice when you are when you are either about to do something or you've watched it on the news and you've formed your opinion about it? Do you ever hear that still small voice that says, is this the heart of God? When you're thinking something different maybe? or you've formulated your opinion, or you have made your decision, and you said, I'm going to do this. Do you ever hear that still small voice that just simply asks, is this God's heart in the matter? That's how we become sincere. By allowing the Holy Spirit to challenge us. Because the reality is, even though most of you, if not all of you in this room, have been Christians for a long time.
we're still not fully completed. And that's okay. I'm not fully completed. <laughs> but do you have a heart to get there? Do you have a heart to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ in the fullness thereof? Not just, well, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, hallelujah, and now I'm going to live any way I want. Because I meet a lot of people like that. And the reality is, most of them don't even know they're there. Now, I, I, I'm, I'm meeting with a, a couple of pastors. I'm, I'm doing spiritual direction with them. And one of the guys, I, I love this guy. He's a younger guy. And he keeps telling me, you know, I don't know what I don't know. And I want to repeat to him, well, guess what? I'm in the club too because I don't know what I don't know. And I know that we don't know the things that we don't know yet. The, and and it, what's interesting is watching people grow in Christ. Even that they go from one place of, of being very confident in the relationship to the Lord to another place of being very confident, but now they, don't, they no longer do some of those things that they were very confident in before. You know what I mean? In, in other words, the Lord allows us to grow at our own rate. And, 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 and we, if we don't know things, then eventually the Lord will reveal them if we are open to it. And it comes by being open first and first, I think, for, foremost to the still small voice. Which is, in my opinion, your mileage may vary, it's a whole lot easier to hear if you have time reading God's word it has a way of shaping you it has a way of conforming you it has a way of building in you the love of God that overflows so that you will grow and overflow more and more in real knowledge and real discernment so that you are able to approve the things that are excellent and so that you would be presented blameless not sinless, but blameless before Christ when he returns and when he comes to judge the living and the dead. That was Paul's heart for the Philippians. That's my heart for each of us, including myself. Allow the love of God to overflow so that we may more and more overflow in real knowledge and real discernment to be able to approve the things that are excellent. And so one day, we will be presented before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, blameless and sincere in Him. Amen?